there is a process. And that process is restoration. That's what we mean by it. So restoration in all of its essence, however you understand restoration, it is completely unnecessary and irrelevant if nothing has changed. If nothing has changed and everything is as it always was and, and, and is supposed to be, if nothing has changed, there is no need for any restoration. You can't be engaged in any kind of restorative activity unless you have some idea of what was and that you can work towards what should be. But when we talk about restoration in this way, it becomes almost a one-sided activity. Meaning that the one who lost something, in the case of my family and I, we are the ones that need something returned to us. And we're looking to others to help us be restored. Here's what I mean. That's a one-sided activity. Something was taken from me. Something was taken from you. But you're looking for someone else who took it to be responsible for bringing it back to you. Everyone in this room, all of us, we lost something. That something could be your personal belongings. It could even be relationships that were important to you. But everyone has lost something. And that loss could be at the hands of someone else's negligence or even your very own. But be that as it may, you lost something and you were the victim. In this scenario, like I said, you want someone to restore to you what was lost. And you place the onus and the responsibility upon that person to come to you and to make amends. This is the model that we all subscribe to. But did you ever think that someone could take something from you and instead of them working to restore it to you, that you instead restore them? Though you were the one that suffered the loss. Let's think about that. Something was taken from you, and instead of you waiting for them to restore it to you, you were the one that went and was actively involved in restoring them, even though they were the ones that took it from you. That's a very different way of looking at rest. Why should I go out of my way to help with my restoration by reaching out and appealing to the one who hurt me, the one who harmed me? Why on earth, pastor, would I even want to entertain something as foolish as that? Well, let's talk about that. In our text, Jesus had been raised from the dead. And he's now having multiple encounters with people and with his disciples. The disciples, of course, are in a place of utter despair because the life they had come to know by walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus was no more. The way that they were with Jesus had changed and Jesus was gone and these disciples were in despair. So while these disciples were all hanging out and having their pity party, Peter jumps up and Peter says, you know what, forget it. Let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. So you know Peter. Peter is like, we can't just sit around here like this. 
let's go fishing. So all the disciples decide, you know what, that's a good idea, Peter, let's just go fishing. So they all decide they're, they're going to go fishing. Now, 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 the Bible tells us that they, were used, they used to be fishermen. It's what they knew how to do. You remember when Jesus called them, he says, come on to me, I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible tells us they dropped everything that they had. They left their father, Zebedee, they did it, and they followed this rabbi. The Bible tells us they left what they knew to follow this man called Jesus. Now all of a sudden they're in this place and this Jesus that they followed is gone. And so Peter says, let's go fishing. It is interesting to me. That whenever we find ourselves disappointed in God, the, 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 the way we deal with it is to look back from where we have come. We, 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 we've forgotten the promises of Jesus. All of a sudden, we can't hear from God, we can't hear from Jesus, and everything that he had told us before, we throw it out the window and go backwards to what we know. You see, Jesus had told his disciples things like this. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus told them that. Jesus also said to them, listen, no one has left home or brother or sister or mother or father for the gospel's sake and for me who will fail, he says, to receive a hundred times as much in this present age as in the age to come. Jesus had said that to the disciples. Jesus also said, don't worry about what you shall eat or what you shall wear, but seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and all the things you need will be given unto you. Jesus had said that to the disciples. And if that were not enough, Jesus also said to the disciples, go into all the world and make disciples. So, so if Jesus had said all of these things to his disciples, my question is, what happened? What ha happened? Did they forget the promises and the instructions, or did they simply not believe them when Jesus told them? You see, Jesus will tell you things that he's going to do, right? He'll tell you that your tomorrow will be greater than your yesterday or even your today. And he may have spoken that word to you, but all of a sudden, a little adversity comes. And you now, all of a sudden now, you forgot everything that you learned about what God has said. Listen, I know that my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he said it, he mean it, and it will come to pass. So the question is, what are you believing? When you can't hear God, is your tendency to turn back and to run away just because it didn't look the way you thought it would? Jesus Christ knows you better than you know yourself, and he knows what you can handle. So the disciples must have forgotten. You see, the disciples decided to go back to what they know. Well... The text tells us that since they went back because they're so smart and know so much about fishing, the Bible tells us they went fishing. Peter says, let's go. And all the other chipmunks said, let's go. But the Bible tells us that these chipmunks were out what? All night and caught nothing. You know so much about what's good for you, but the master has a plan. So you're out there trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life because yeah. you no longer hear from Jesus. But you tried. Yeah, yeah, they caught nothing. 
as the day started to break, when night started to turn into day. Can you see the picture? They're out there toiling, but just at daybreak, there's a man standing on the beach. And, and this man is standing now on the beach, and he shouts out, Yo! Y'all caught anything? I can, I can picture it. You out there doing what you know how to do. And if we want to bring it into today, Jesus is like, Yo! Is it working for you? You may not be fishing. It could be something else. But Jesus is asking, if you're trying to solve your problems your way, is it working for you? So, they're, so, they're, so, so the Bible tells us, they turn around and they go, wait a second, no! They don't even know who this is. But they're like, it ain't working. It's not working for me. So this little man on the side of the beach says to them, all right, here's what you do. Cast your net on the right side of the boat. So they obey and cast their net on the right side of the boat. And the Bible tells us that they caught so much fish that they didn't even know what to do with themselves. But, but, but what I love about the story is that when they caught the fish, the Apostle John, the Bible tells us, the Apostle who Jesus loves. John goes, wait a second. I remember this. I've, I've, I've seen this before. Because, because three years earlier, the Bible tells us that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were out fishing and they caught nothing. And there was this man on the beach that said, cast your net on the other side. And when they caught the fish, the nets were breaking. And John says, yo, Peter, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And then right in their excitement, Peter, you know Peter. Peter's like, oh, my G. Peter drags on his clothes. Can you see it? And then Peter jumps into the water. He couldn't even wait. And Peter makes his way because he's seen this story before. Peter, Peter didn't even wait. That's taken too long. Sometimes you got to get into your spirit a little. I got to get to Jesus right now. Sometimes you need a right now spirit. That the boat is taking way too long, Osai. This is taking way too long. And then Tutu's... <laughs> I got to get to Jesus. Same sea. Same boats. Same fishermen. And the same God. The Bible then tells us that when they get to the shore, <laughs> they find a fish breakfast waiting for them. But before we go too far, here's the significance of this episode. Jesus will always meet you where you are. And sometimes the biblical text is showing us a lot more than what we read. I tell you all the time, we read scriptures too fast. 
Sometimes you got to wait a little bit and, and see what the Lord is telling you. The reason why the disciples were in despair and they went fishing was because they were hungry. They were hungry. And they were hungry. And Peter said, let's go eat. Let's go fishing. Now, now they wanted to, in their own strength, satisfy their physical hunger. Yes, yes, yes. But they were unsuccessful. Yes. But Jesus, knowing their need, did not just come to give them breakfast. He gave them instructions according to what they ought to do. And, 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 and he already knew that in obeying the word of God, they would find success. You see, you could stray away from God and decide to do things your own way. But even after you have put yourself in a predicament that you didn't really need to be in, Jesus will still come along and use your foolishness to bring you redemption. But what it requires, Reverend Minson, is obedience to what he has said. Cast your net on the right side and you will see something you ain't never seen before. What is God telling you to do? Where is he telling you to cast your net? Now, 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 taking it a step further. When they got to Jesus, he already had what they needed to satisfy their hunger. But, but look at what Jesus does in the beginning in verse 9. I, I got to go back to it. So it says, when, when they got out onto the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And, and, and Jesus said to them, watch this, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Let me stay right there. So let me get this straight. They caught all this fish. They're bringing it in the land because they're hungry. When they get there, breakfast is already ready because he lays a table before me already spread. But then Jesus says, dudes, bring some of the fish that you caught. Don't miss this. In other words, your labor was not in vain. And God will always partner with you. Jesus will still use whatever you bring for your benefit. Did you see that? He will still use what you bring. He don't need it. He already made it. But Jesus will still use whatever it is you bring. Not for his benefit, but for yours. So we're having breakfast at Tiberias. Jesus now was with the disciples, the Bible tells us, the third time. I said to myself, why would John write in his gospel that this was the third time that Jesus was meeting the disciples? It, it, it has to mean something. Nothing in the Bible is there for just idle words. It has to mean something. So the fact that this was the third time is something that I wanted to pay attention to. And here's what I came up with. The first time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection 
was on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. This is the reason why we celebrate and worship on Sundays. Now, the Bible tells us that when Jesus met them this first time, they were inside the house and the doors were shut, meaning that it wasn't open to let Jesus in. But out of nowhere, the disciples were in this house and Jesus had been raised from the dead. They're inside the house. They're cooped up. They're scared and they're terrified. They're in the house like this. Because all the rumors is going around that Jesus was raised from the dead. And now you know what's happening. The Romans are trying to figure out what is going on. The disciples are inside the house, scared. You can hear their knees clacking. The doors are shut. The Bible tells us that out of nowhere now, Jesus appears in their midst. And he says these words, peace be with you. And then he shows them the wounds in his hands and the wounds in his side. It is here in this, ex in this, in this episode that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive now the Holy Ghost. And when you receive this Holy Ghost, you will have authority, my disciples, to forgive sins. This was the first time that Jesus met his disciples after his resurrection. The second time that Jesus met with the disciples was eight days later. Eight days later, they were again inside the house, shut up with the doors. No one can go in, no one can come out. But then out of nowhere, Jesus appears in the midst of them. And, 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 and the reason now why Jesus appeared, when he came in, he said again unto them, Peace be unto you. And then he goes over to Thomas. And he says to Thomas, Yo, Thomas, check this out. And he showed Thomas the wounds in his hands. The Bible tells me Thomas falls to his knees. And in, hum in humility of spirit said these words that warms my heart, my Lord and my God. This was the second time that Jesus appeared to his disciples. So now what we find in our text with Jesus on the beach, this is now the third time that Jesus has now appeared to his disciples. And on the two prior occasions, here it is, they're now seeing Jesus the third time and they did not recognize him. So I said, wait a second. In fact, it was John who recognized him after they caught all this fish. And when the disciples surrounded him at breakfast, they realized who it was. As a matter of fact, in verse 12, it says, John says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. The disciples now were clear on the identity of Jesus. This is important, church. The third time is what I consider Jesus' restorative pattern. It is the process that I talked about in the beginning that gets you from where you want to be or where you were to where he's taking you. Jesus is the process. And the third time is Jesus' pattern and the way that he does this. You see, what you got to understand is Jesus wants to bring you to wholeness. He don't just do a partway work. He wants to bring a whole work. It is no accident that at the beginning of the Bible, if you count the disciples, it tells us that it was seven of them. Which means that when Jesus encountered these seven disciples, their restoration was going to be complete. And because it's the third time, it means it was also perfect. You're looking at me and you're wondering what's going on. If you're feeling a sense of curiosity, the Spirit is talking to you. The third time restoration with the disciples was now a corporate activity. It was Jesus now talking to the church. 
his disciples, and this third time was his way of bringing wholeness to the church. You see, when you are restored to your place of wholeness, though, you can sometimes even be stuck in your own personal stuff. You see, the church can be praising God and we can be having this wonderful worship experience and the spirit is here and the worship team is singing and everybody's having this high and you're caught up in the high. But somehow, out of nowhere, while you're caught up in the high, you still are feeling the pain of your own mess. Individually. You see, many people serve in many capacities in the house of the Lord. Some people, they sing. Some people, they preach. Some people, they, they, they do all kinds of things in the house of the Lord. You could be a steward. You could be a trustee. You do a whole lot. And while that provides you a certain amount of satisfaction, you still end up sometimes leaving here with a sense of personal, spiritual emptiness. Like some of us, this is where Peter was. Peter was glad to be having the fish fry with the disciples and with Jesus. Breaking bread and having communion, Peter was happy to be in the house of the Lord. But somehow he could not get away from the fact that he had betrayed Jesus. He had betrayed his Lord. So Peter was physically whole, but spiritually and emotionally lost. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. But I, wanna, I want you to see Peter. And in seeing Peter, see yourself. You could have gotten some bad news. But you still had to go to the missionary meeting, or you still had to go to the first district meeting, or you still had to go to the YPD meeting, or you still had to go on the trekathon because you made a commitment. You, 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 but you heard some news. And while you're there, you are participating and you're involved, and, but in the back of your mind and in your heart, you're thinking about the news about that you just got. People say to you, are you okay, Vernita? Are you okay? You're like, yes, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing all right. You know, let's serve. You, you, you can, you, are you there? Can, 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 can you identify times in your life where you are around a whole lot of people, having a whole lot of fun, but deep inside your heart, you are still quite not there? That's Peter. Happy to see Jesus, but can't forget how he betrayed him. Eating the spratfish and the banny, and can't let go of what he did. Thinking to himself, I wonder if Jesus remembered what I did. We're having a ball and we're having fun and we're talking about when the time when he turned water into wine and I'm feeling a little whiny right now. Jesus, what you going to do? But I wonder if he remembered how I failed him. You try to get yourself out of yourself, but you are still stuck. You're in worship, and you're giving it your all, but you're still stuck. You quite can't. Your, your, your praise is coming, but you're still stuck. You're feeling the, the vibe and the spirit of the worship, but you can't seem to stand up and give God your all because you're still stuck. Peter was stuck. So while Jesus corporately blessed the disciples... Peter was stuck. And this is where I want to end up in the text. The Bible then tells us that Peter, after having betrayed Jesus, his, he, his, he had a lostness in his human spirit. And it was a condition that rendered Peter somewhat powerless. It is the burden of guilt and shame 
that we sometimes carry around for things that we failed to do. And it has somehow inflicted on us some kind of trauma. To betray trust and to let people down, or even ourselves, is the kind of thing that while we may pretend that we're okay, the truth is we're silently rotting away inside our very souls. And, and, and until you're able to go directly to the source of your hurt, until you're able to find the courage to face the demon in your spirit that is holding you back, I am telling you, restoration in your human spirit will remain a dream. But thanks be to God, that Jesus can still see behind your hallelujahs and your worship. Jesus can still see behind your lifted hands and your shabaks. Jesus, Jesus, despite your attempts to ignore your pain in praise, Jesus still finds you and he will not leave you hopeless. Jesus will always find you and bring to you the third time restoration. You see... <laughs> oh, this is sweet. You see, the, the text says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, <laughs> son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, tend my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Hallelujah. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Watch this. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. This is Peter saying in exasperation, Lord, why are you embarrassing me? It's bad enough that I feel this pain. It's bad enough that I can't forgive myself for how I have betrayed those closest to me. It's bad enough how I gave you my word that I would love you and, and I betrayed you. It's bad enough, Lord, that I said that I would be there for my children. I would be there for my family. It's bad enough, Lord, that I said I would be there and I failed. It's bad enough. Lord, why are you doing this to me? Peter is grieved because he's carrying the burden of the hurt that he feels in his heart. But I want you to understand something that Jesus is always compassionate. And Jesus will always take you to the place of your pain. Because Jesus knows if you can't find the courage to walk through that pain, it will always keep you down. Until you face the struggles in your life. Until you decide that I'm sick and tired, but I ain't taking this sick and tiredness no more. Devil, you are not going to keep me down any longer. If you can get to that place, I am telling you, you will find the hand of your master. Say, come unto me. All you are heavy laden. All you are heavy burdened. And I will give you rest. The problem is many of us are facing hardships in our hearts, hardships in our souls, hardships in our minds, and we're trying to fix it. And Jesus is saying, give it to me. I can take it. Give it to me. 
The Bible says Peter was grieved. Peter betrayed Jesus three times in denying that he knew him. And the pain of this betrayal is something that Peter never, ever wanted to face ever again in his life. But Jesus knew that Peter had great works to do in the kingdom of God. And if Peter was going to be all that God had called him to be, Peter needed to be made free. The first two times when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Was not because Jesus didn't know or think that Peter loved him. In fact, Peter declared it twice. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus was not ignorant of Peter's love for him. Jesus knew that Peter loved him. So, so the question is, it wasn't about Peter trying to convince Jesus. It was about Jesus trying to convince Peter that I believe you. <laughs> don't, I don't doubt for one minute that every person in this church loves Jesus. I don't doubt it for one minute. I know that every one of you love Jesus. I know that you all do. And I even know that when you think about your faith and your walk with God, very often sometimes you feel like you're not doing as much as you would like to do. I know that as you think about your faith walk with God, I know that many of you say to yourselves, I wish I could give more to the church. I know that many of you, if not all of you, as you sit here, you think about, and he says, I wish I really was more loving, and I wish I was really more caring, and I wish I can forgive this person that has hurt me so bad, and I, wish, I know that you are all there. I know that you carry these burdens in your heart. I know this. I know that you want to do more for God. But somehow, somehow, you sit here and you say, I'm not all that I was, that I'm called to be. I know what I'd like, but I know what I am. And you harbor and you walk around with this sense of guilt. Well, I came to assure you today as I get ready to close this message that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus already knows that you love him. But he also knows that it is hard for you because you don't have enough courage to face your own pain. He knows that you are weak and you are having a hard time facing your own pain. Church, Jesus knows this. You're not keeping a big secret. Because if Jesus knows it and I'm the preacher here, guess what? I know it too. When I talk to you, I know that you are carrying a hard, heavy burden. And while you may not all tell me everything that's going on in your life, you can't help but show it on your face. It's the reason why sometimes you don't even want to come to church because the shame and the guilt is so hard on you. But I'm telling you, Jesus understands. And he knows that it's hard for you. And this is why Jesus told Peter the third time, do you love me? Because Peter was stuck. By denying Jesus three times, what the Bible is telling us, that Peter gave the perfect betrayal. After one or two times, you could say maybe he didn't mean it, and it was a slip of the tongue, 
But after three times, you meant it. <laughs> You're revealing the condition of your heart. Let me give you a real example of what I mean. Let's be real. If after the first time you say that, well, the five black boys who were innocent of the Central Park jogger killing deserves to be executed and they were innocent, we could say that that was an emotional response. We could say that. Then if the second time you say the first black president of the United States, you know, he's illegitimate because he wasn't born in the United States, then I would say at that point, you may be an angry bigot. But if the third time you say and are caught saying on Twitter, LeBron James was just interviewed by the dumbest man on television, Don Lemon. He made LeBron look smart, which isn't easy to do in reference to a very respected African-American journalist and a very respected African-American athlete who happens to have just opened up a school for at-risk youth, then, my brother, you are a confirmed racist bigot. And you are emotionally narcissistic and incorrigible. And oh, by the way, you need Jesus more than anybody else. But going back to Peter, <laughs> Jesus wants to restore Peter to his place of confidence and usefulness in God's kingdom. So not only does Jesus helped Peter confront his betrayal. Jesus also gives him a way of restoration. Pay attention now, church. We're ending here. I want you to see this very, very carefully. All this sermon means nothing if you don't get this. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter's already feeling pressure. Peter says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, hmm, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. You're asking me the third time. Peter's grieved. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? <laughs> How many times are you going to ask me, do you love me? Listen, I'm keeping it real. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Uh. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Two things I want to point out in this text, and then we go home. Number one, Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Christ. He was there. Peter had a revelation that Jesus said to him, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And oh, by the way, your name shall no longer be called Simon. You shall be called Peter, because upon this rock I will build my church. You see, Jesus had changed Peter's name to P his name from Simon to Peter, which means that you're no longer of the flesh, but now you're of the spirit. So Peter's walking around already thinking to himself, I am somebody. Then he betrays Jesus three times, and he fell in shame. The three times that Jesus spoke to Peter, he called him Simon. Yes, 
he called him Simon. Which means Jesus will always meet you where you are. And then he takes you now where you are, brings you to your place of pain. And it's not, if Peter did not get grieved, Peter wasn't ready for the work. So you see, whenever you are in the work of God, if you ain't angry enough about what you do or passionate enough, you're not ready for the kingdom's work. But it didn't stop there. Jesus says, okay, okay, Simon, now that you are angry, I want to take that same emotion and now I want to lead you to serve. Tend my sheep. Tend my lambs. Jesus is saying to every single one of you in this room that the passion that burns in you, the frustration that you feel for things not being the way it needs to be, you give that to Jesus and you go and serve. Serve God's people. Serve, serve, serve till you can't serve no more. You're holding on, but I'm telling you, Jesus wants that passion. Jesus wants that pain. Jesus wants that hunger. Tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep. Jesus was saying, serve. Serve out of your place of hurt and grief. Serve, serve out of your brokenness. Serve, serve, serve in this church. You lost your home in a fire. Serve. You lost your job. Serve. You lost a valued relationship. Serve. This is the third time restoration. That's what it looks like. It's a process that makes you an active participant in your own restoration. Many people give up after their disappointments and their failures. The Jesus model says, that's not the way. They hurt you, serve. Because if you can find it in your spirit to still after you've been knocked down, to get up and serve and serve and serve and serve, then you're going to know something about God. This is what I mean. By the third time, restoration. The third time, restoration is serving out of your hurt. The third time, restoration is serving out of your pain. The third time, restoration is serving out of your suffering. It's serving out of your failure. It's serving out of your shortcomings. It's serving despite your broken relationships. It's serving despite your level of education. It's serving despite your inadequacies. Because the Lord's strength is made perfect in weakness. Jesus gave us the model when he hung on Calvary's cross. In the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his pain, he still served when he said, Father, who God, Father, Abba, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Serve in the midst of Jesus' suffering. He served. This is a third, third time restoration. And even though he was crucified, <laughs> yo, he was crucified, dead, and buried. But the Bible tells us he rose again on when? The third day. 
the third day he rose again, which means that his work was now complete. So in this year, in this year of Restoration Church, let us not think so much about what we lost and what we would like to recover, what we want back that we had. Let us not think too much about that. But how can we use our weakness and our brokenness and our loss to do more for the kingdom of God? And, and here's the part I love the most. I'm really going to be done now. I'm serious. I'm just there. Thanks, Andrea. I'm there. The part I love the most is, and I don't want y'all to miss this either. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my lambs. Simon, do you love me? You know I love you. <laughs> Simon mad. You know that I love you. Why are you going to ask me this all this time? And Jesus says, lower your voice, Simon. <laughs> Recognize my authority. <laughs> Jesus says, feed my sheep. The reason why I'm bringing this to you, and this is so important, because right after that, Jesus already had a plan for Peter. And Reverend Minson read it. Here's where it says. you got to learn to get into the text. Verse 18, after Jesus said that, Jesus says this to Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, hallelujah, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. You see, we love gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Look upon a little child. Pity my simplicity. Suffer me to come to thee. But what I'm telling you, the call on your life to follow Christ is one that demands that you face your pain, that you demand that you face your hurt, that you get out of your pity party, that you grow up and that you grow and you now stand and says, what more? Listen, it was good for me to have been afflicted. Church, we are in a day and age where the world is changing right around us. We need to grow up. We need to stand up. We need to face the demons and say, listen, I don't care what you do to me. Yes, yes, you, we believe that our God can deliver us from this fiery furnace, but even if he does not, I still will not bow down to your statue. Listen, we are done playing church. In this day and age, I have seen, and I'm preaching now to you prophetically as I feel it in my spirit. There's a reason Emmanuel and Alan Temple are joining together. God is getting ready to raise up the least of these. For the last will be first. And the first will be last. This has nothing to do with our ranking in the district. This has everything to do 
with the kingdom of God. And Satan, you are on notice. For this is the third time restoration in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Amen. And amen.